We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. And today we're excited because not only is the draft now not even days, hours away at this point, we're lucky enough to be to be joined here by a famous guy. I'm going to call him famous because he made his appearance on Good Morning Football and he laughs it off. But damn, it would be cool for me to get on that show, mostly because I want to have a chance to uh, get a face-to-face with Kay Adams. But Listen, we're getting Trevor Sikama on the show today from Pro Football Focus and the NFL Stock Exchange. I hope I got that right. That's his podcast. If not, he can correct me on that. But Trevor's got an awesome big board. I'm so happy we got a chance to get to have him on because I actually saw this yesterday when PFF, actually, their social account tweeted it out. And he has somebody at, at the 1-1 here who is not what everybody has. It's not consensus. But I love it because that's what this is all about. Trust your Trust what you see. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into a lot here. But before we do that, Trevor, thanks for joining us today. And how you doing, my friend? Dan, Nick, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's uh, I look forward to this just as much as I do good morning football. So I, look, it, it, is, it is the time of year, man. I get to talk to a lot of people who cover a lot of teams, do a lot of great work. And this is a lot of fun for me. So I really do. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited about this little chat here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're joining us, Trevor. I want to get this kicked off right to the point, right? What I already teased in the intro, you have LSU's Derek Stingley as your number one overall prospect. And for those who don't know, Trevor's big board is top 100 is up right now on pro football focus. You can check it out. I believe it's not behind the paywall. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, Trevor. So I think everyone has an opportunity to check this out, but you should also check out some of Trevor's content behind the paywall. Some of which we're going to ask him about today. Some really great stuff. I'm lucky enough to be a PFF member so I can read all of that. But Love for it. those of you who aren't, Let's get into it right away. Derek Stingley, your 1-1 prospect in this class, which is, again, a bit off the consensus, but I really appreciate that. We had uh, Eric Crocker on, former NFL defensive back, who has Stingley as his 1-1, and a few other, and I think it was one other person, I'm forgetting now, who had him as his 
1-1 at the cornerback position, but this is the first time I've seen him as the 1-1 overall prospect. So you, can you break down for us why you have him as your 1-1? Yeah, so, I mean, simply put, if you go back to that 2019 tape, which anybody who loves Stingley a lot is going to consistently point to that 2019 season of his, if you evaluate that tape and think that that's the real Derek Stingley, that's the best player in the draft. I, I, I have no problem saying that. And I believe because of context, that is the real Derek Stingley. And that we are going to see that again at the pro level. And I think even the best is yet to come for Derek Stingley. When you look at 2019, you have to look at the full context of who he was. He was a 18-year-old kid coming straight from high school. And not only did he earn a starting spot on that LSU team, he was the best defensive player in the country. One of them. I, you know, there's there were a lot of great defensive performers that year, but he was absolutely one of them. As a true freshman playing a position that is so difficult to step in right away and play. I would argue that succeeding at a young age, at least right off the bat, especially when you jump up levels of competition, at corner is second only to quarterback when it comes to a difficulty of really making a transition. So him having the natural ability to be that damn good for that historic LSU team in that 2019 season speaks volumes to me of the talent that he has, the size, the speed, the overall natural athleticism and ability to play the position. It was all on display as just a true freshman. The 2020 year, the year after, COVID season, it was an adjusted season. It was a whirlwind. There was a lot going on. And we now know what was going on behind the scenes with Ed Ogeron, how there wasn't a lot of focus going on with that team. There's a lot of chaos behind the scenes. And all those players leave for the draft uh, the year after that 2019 season. There's reason to believe that Derek Stigley and most of us wouldn't be too motivated to play our best football in that kind of a season, in that kind of an environment. And then the 2021 year, he was hurt. And it wasn't just like, oh, you know, he just like had this little injury. It was a Liz Frank foot injury. It was a big deal. He tried to get over it. He tried to play through it. And then he ended up having to have surgery. But a Liz Frank foot injury, anybody who knows those, those are serious. Those are very serious. They're very painful injuries if you don't handle them the right way and if they continue to nag. And so all of that gives me context to believe. But yes, we haven't seen him play at his elite level in a couple of years here. But I believe that that is still there. And if you stack that up against the rest of this current class, that's the best tape that you've got to go off of at a premium position. And he plays it the way that would give it the most maximum value, which is why he is my number one overall prospect. And another thing that's interesting about Stingley too, Trevor, is I feel like us people in the media, we make it like his 2020 and his 2021 film was just absolutely horrendous and absolutely right. terrible. It really wasn't that bad. I mean, he got beat by Devonta Smith. There were a couple of miscommunications in that Alabama game in 2020. But other than that, his tape is still pretty solid. And like you said, there was dysfunction all around the program. I don't think this is too ridiculous of a take, but I did want to get your opinion on Sauce Gardner, who I believe you have eighth. What mm -hmm. is the... What do you like about Stingley more than Gardner? Is it just the overall coverage ability? When I watched the two, I felt like Stingley was better at the line of scrimmage, more disciplined with his hips in press than Sauce, despite the difference in length. But can you contrast those two prospects for us? Yeah, it's funny because anytime you put something in a linear ranking, whether it is position rankings or big board or whatever, and I'm not saying you just did this, Nick, but so many people will go like, oh, like you got like this person ranked one, and you got like this person ranked four, and you're just like, wow, like you might not like this guy. And again, I'm not saying that you just did that, but it is yeah. funny how some people look at things that way. And it's like, I still have Sauce as a top 10 player in this class. I like Ahmad Varner a lot. Now, you hit the nail on the head, I think. His work at the line of scrimmage is still a little bit sloppy to me. 
I think the footwork coming out of press coverage, which is what you're going to want him to play as a longer, faster man coverage corner, still needs a lot of work. And I don't know if the reason why, you know, his, his, his feet get wide when he, when he immediately is kind of turning out of his stance. Like, I don't know if that comes from maybe inflexibility, you know, because he is a taller corner. So he's going to be a little bit high-waisted, right? It, it, does that come into play there? The technique just overall is not nearly as clean as it is for Derek Stingley, even when we saw him as a true freshman. So I think that Sauce is forced to recover a little bit, getting out of the line of scrimmage, getting off of press coverage when he is turning to run, whether it's kind of a horizontal route or a vertical route. So I just think that those little things, I've seen Stingley be better at them already at a young age. So that gives me faith that he, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows how to implement it. That's stuff that I do not have to worry about with him. It is a little bit of a question mark for Gardner, who, when you get to the NFL, let's face it. Yes, Cincinnati played in some big football games over the last couple of years. Yes, corner is still a tough position to play. But Cincinnati's conference, it's not the SEC. It's not the ACC. It's not the Big Ten. You're not going up against those caliber wide receivers. Him now to making the jump to the pros, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger, and not only that, more technical. They're more technical at what they do at the pro level. And so I just think that that's definitely going to be an adjustment period to Sauce, who I think has shown that he has grown so much as a player and a dominant player at that, to think that he will be able to overcome it, unless there's some physical limitations there. But that's honestly really the only reason why I have those the, the, the gap in between those players that I do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I also love that Roger McCreary was a top 30 player for you. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain on him because he has some really good cornerback tape in man coverage at the line of scrimmage, but comes into the combine sub 29 inch arms. That's going to be problematic. And Wink Martindale's coming in. It's going to be much more of a press man oriented scheme. Do you think Roger McCreary can translate to a boundary type of cornerback or an outside cornerback with that arm length? And do you think that, because you do have him ranked pretty high, he can be somebody who would thrive in that sort of system and environment despite his arm length? 
I do. I think that he could be a good outside corner in the NFL. I really do. I don't know if Wink Barndale is going to like him because of the reasons why you listed, right? They're probably going to have thresholds that he does not hit for arm length. But when you look at the kind of player that he was, these I'll say these last two years, but especially this last season, he was one of the best cover guys in the SEC. And guys, I had the chance to sit down with Roger and, and, and interview him a little bit a couple months ago. And I was just asking about his football background and everything and kind of what he played in high school and how he got to Auburn. He never even played a cornerback until he got to Auburn. So what we saw this past year was his fourth year of ever playing corner. He didn't play it growing up. He didn't play junior varsity, peewee, varsity ball, anything. When he got to Auburn, they had a need at corner and they switched him to cornerback position. And that's kind of where he stayed. Now, the worry that you have with Roger McCreary is, yes, he's got a lot of really great outside tape, but he does not have that outside measurables, like you mentioned. A lot of people say, just kick him inside of the slot. Let him be a more short-arm slot-wide cornerback. He never played slot. And I asked him about that specifically, and he's like, look, I'm, I'm open to it, obviously, but I don't have that experience. I've never played in a slot before. I don't know what it feels like. I don't have that ability or I don't have that history with me because Auburn played him on the outside. And when you play outside at Auburn, you're playing a very specific style of press man corner. When he went to the senior bowl, you go to the senior bowl to experiment with some of these guys, play them in these different alignments, see if they could be better here or there. They on day two of practice, they put McCreary in at the slot and he struggled a lot because he was just a kick slow. He was not anticipating things the same way he was when he had that experience under him belt, his belt of lining up on the outside. So if you want to play him at slot corner, I think he can thrive there. It's just going to be a little bit of a process. But I think he was so good in coverage this past year as an outside guy. He can be an outside receiver in the NFL. Yes, he's going to lose sometimes when the length comes into effect, whether it's creating separation off the line of scrimmage or maybe at the catch point. There's going to be reps that he loses, and that's just – you've got to kind of live with that. But the in-between reps, he's going to be straight in the hip pocket. He's going to be physical. He's going to be in your face, and he's going to cover so well that sometimes he's not even going to garner throws that are coming his way. And I still think that that's in the cards for Roger McCreary. Love what he was able to do in coverage this past year. And even with the measurables, that's why I have him so high in the rankings. Love that breakdown of McCreary. He's somebody who I've really warmed up to as the, as the process has gone on. And I know, again, like you said, there are there may be the requirements within Wink system or within any system. We won't really know that. We'll have to find that out on draft day if the Giants do draft them or not at 36. But he's somebody who's in play for me there. I'm going to talk to you about another player who's in play for me there at 36, though a lot of people now think he won't make it there, and that's fine. I get it. But that's a player we both love here based on your big board, Trevor. And that's Tulsa offensive lineman Tyler Smith. To me, he's actually everything fans say Trevor Penning is. And uh, what do you like about Smith's game? Do you think he'll be better at, at offensive tackler on the interior? And would if he makes it there, would he be a great target for the Giants at 36? Sure. I mean, I think that he's got a lot of versatility. I, I really do. I like Tyler Smith a lot. I've got him ranked ahead of Trevor Penning. Um, so I view him a little bit better than Penning. I think Penning's getting a ton of love, and clearly the NFL loves him. He's going in the first round. And Trevor Penning, I, I believe, is going to go ahead of Tyler Smith. But these are two prospects that – I would just give the edge to Tyler a lot when it comes to ceiling. I mean, the athletic profile, how he plays, how, again, this, this is another guy. I, I was able to interview Tyler as well. And we talked about his background. He grew up playing defensive tackle. 
he, he grew up playing on the defensive line. And I'll tell you guys the story that he told me. His, from his sophomore year to his junior year, there, so I guess his sophomore season of high school ball, their quarterback broke like a bone in his back, like one of his vertebrae, like he cracked one of his vertebrae and he had to have surgery. And there was, you know, would he ever play football again? Kind of a thing. He did. He ended up being okay. And he ended up playing football again, but the coach came to Tyler Smith that off season and said, look, this happened to us last season because nobody could block in front of him. We need you to play along the offensive line and protect this quarterback. And the quarterback was one of his friends. And so he told me that from that moment on, he had this mentality of the person in front of me is trying to hurt my brother. Like the person in front of me is trying to harm my family member. And it is my job to stay in front of them. And he used the, he used the phrase like their life is in my hands. And because of that perspective that he had with it. And when you watch how much he finishes blocks, locks guys up, throws him to the ground and he even said this when I play you on the offensive line I'm going to give you a couple of extra shots to make sure you second guess coming at me and that is how he plays love that mentality for an offensive lineman that is like a true protector's mentality look the technique with Tyler Smith needs work he has only been playing offensive line for again three or four years the hand placement is is sometimes extremely erratic Sometimes it's well, well down near his hips and needs to be a lot higher. The strike timing is very off for him, but he also realizes that those are areas of his game that he needs to get better. I spoke to him about some of the former players that he's working with, some of the coaches that he's working with ways to get better and realize that, Oh yeah, like I I can't just out athlete everybody at the NFL level. And I think that he saw that this past year going up against some of his better competition. So I love his mentality. I love this ball of clay that he is as an offensive lineman. I think he's probably going to be an interior guy. I think he's going to be a guard, but he does give you that flexibility. If you're in a pinch, if you have a guy go down, which we know happens along the offensive line all the time, his versatility allows you to be able to have that flexibility to put that quote unquote best five out there along an offensive line. So that's kind of my views on Tyler Smith, a guy who I really do love the traits a lot. I know there's another player that you love his traits and that is Drake Jackson, somebody that Dan and I, are both we're both fans of Drake Jackson. Now I want to kind of pick your brain on him. You have him ranked higher than consensus people in the media, I would say. What version of Drake Jackson do you love? Do you love 245, 250 pound Drake Jackson or 265 pound Drake Jackson? And what system do you think he best fits in? I think it's not to cop out, but it's a little bit of an in-between. I think the 260 is probably a really good weight for him. Like right now, he he bulked up to 270 to show his agility and his athleticism while he was at 270. Then he went to USC's Pro Day at 272. And he had really nice agility numbers. I still really liked it. But you could tell that he had just thrown on weight over the last month and a half. Like it wasn't great weight. Like you could tell he's he's a little overinflated right now. So I feel as though the best version of him is around 260. Because as much as I love the speed profile of his game when he was at 245, really closer to 250, he got bullied a little bit too much. He didn't have enough strength in his game. And I think that he's got to gain that extra 10 pounds. He's got to get up to a clean, good, strong 260. If you get that, you get a really nice edge rusher who has some of the best bend and flexibility in this class. 
And if you put five of Drake Jackson's best pass rush clips from this past year up against any edge rusher in this class, you'd go, that guy's got traits that I want to bet on, probably above anybody else. But he didn't show it consistently. I think the reason why is because that strength profile just was not in his game. So love for him to find a home weight. I think it's going to be something close to 260 pounds. But take this next year, and I know he's going to be drafted high, so he's going to, he's going to play. So I'm not saying like red shirt this first year as an NFL player. But really take this next year. Get with the strength and conditioning staff. Get with the nutritionist. Have a goal weight around what I was saying there. And just build the body. I've seen that so many times with players, especially trench players. Their first and second year, it's just about building that NFL body. And Drake Jackson is only 21 years old. So even if you take the next two years to build this dude's body, you might have the exact kind of edge player you want. And he's just 23. And he's two years halfway into his rookie contract. So all of that, I think, is a great roadmap for how you get the most out of a guy who I think has really rare traits as a as a outside pass rusher. I love how you broke that down, Trevor, because it's interesting because you think about it like that. And Drake's a player who's been on my radar lately, and it speaks to why some people are so, I don't want to say focus, hyper-focused, but focused on age when it comes to drafting players. Because if you look at Drake Jackson, you said it best. He could grow into a different body type than what he is right now versus a guy like Jermaine Johnson, who's, what, 23 years old, turning 24, and has the body type you kind of want already. And so... That adds to why some people are looking at age when it comes to these prospects. And Jackson, Jackson's obviously been a big riser. Another player I want to talk about while we keep it on edge is a player you wrote a piece on, and that's Boy Maffe out of Minnesota, someone both Nick and I are interested in. And you said he could be just scratching the surface of what he could be. If the Giants don't go edge in round one at five or seven, which is highly possible at this point, is, is Boy Maffe out of Minnesota somebody you think could be on their radar and somebody who could fit what they want to do? Yeah, I think so. And he's another player who, uh, you know, he's got a really interesting background. Didn't start playing football, probably started playing it around, I think it was middle school. Started playing it with a friend. Uh, Then he had a mandatory boarding school year back in Nigeria where his parents are from. They made all of his brothers and sisters, all of his siblings, all of their kids do a year of boarding school when they're, I think think he said it's their eighth grade year. He has them do that. And, you know, he – Shot up in height, really grew into his body at that point in time. Got back, wanted to start playing football right away. Definitely did. Gets to Minnesota. And I think that he's kind of the same story. He's been honing in on what the perfect weight is for him. Balancing that speed, explosiveness, athleticism. Because he's got it, man. I mean, you look at the explosive scores that we saw from the combine. That matches the tape where this guy is able to fire off the line of scrimmage. I think he's going to be more of a two-point stance rusher. He's going to be more of an outside linebacker type than a hand in the dirt guy. But... I don't think it could be possible for him to be both, especially if he continues to add some really good weight and some strength to be able to maintain that leverage when he's coming off as a 4-3 defensive end. So he's probably more of a two-point stance guy, but there's no question about it. I think he would be on the Giants' radar because the more I've done Giants mock drafts in the past, the more I feel like the best bang for their buck is – picking edge at the top of the second round because there's just normally like if they want a corner or an offensive tackle right if you want to say that those are the three big needs for them corner because they're probably going to lose james bradbury uh, offensive tackle and then a pass rusher 
you're not going to get an offensive tackle at the top of the second round caliber to the type of edge rusher you might get, a Drake Jackson, a Narla Bikede, uh Boye Mafe, something like that. And you're not going to get a corner either because a lot of those guys are probably getting me off the board already. And especially for Martindale's system, I mean, if the only guys that you got left there is, is like Roger McCreary, then that, they're probably not happy about that. You're basically hoping, I guess, Kyler Gordon is there, but I can't remember Kyler Gordon's measurables off the top of my head. I'd wonder if they worry about him too, but I don't think so. So it just, you know, I'm playing this exercise where it's like, you better get Stingley or Sauce, and you better get one of the top three offensive tackles, and then you could get a pass rusher at the top of the second round. That'd be incredible. You get Charles Cross, you get Derek Stingley, you get Boye Mafe. It's a great haul. It's fantastic. And I think that only happens if you let edge rusher slide, which is not always the case. I'm almost always the kind of person who tells you, if you have a trench need, take him in round one. Just You're probably not going to get the impact that you want out of a player in round two. And if you do, you're lucky. It's a bonus. But this year is a little bit different. This year we might have some edge rushers to choose from at the top of the second round. And it also fits Wink Martindale's scheme. He's much more predicated on having these man coverage cornerbacks and then scheming pressure rather than just having dominant edge rushers. Despite the fact that they drafted Adafi Owe in the first round last year, they had the infrastructure in place on the back end. They all got hurt, which was unfortunate. But you brought up a name, Trevor, that I have to ask you about. And that's Charles Cross, your third overall ranked player, not third overall tackle. Can you speak to why you have Charles Cross so high? We're fans of Charles Cross on this podcast, but there are a lot of giant fans that are a little hesitant with his skill set. Yeah. So you look at all three of those offensive tackles, you know, with Evan Neal and Icky Aquani as well. All three of them are in my top six. I believe that they're, they're, they're franchise offensive tackles that can play a long time in the NFL. Evan Neal is just so steady, man. He's so huge. He moves so well. He's got the versatility at guard, right tackle, left tackle. You love that about him. Icky is great, man. And I, I would tell you that ceiling-wise, Icky's probably got the highest. But there are some times where I watch Icky's tape, for as great as it is. Again, I'm, I'm nitpicking here. He's a great prospect. There's sometimes when I watch his tape where, especially in pass blocking, he will kick slide to a landmark, but then the pass rusher will be one step ahead of him, and he'll hit him with an inside move or he'll hit him that he wasn't expecting. And it's almost like Icky understood where he needed to go, but didn't exactly understand why in order to help himself out. So the instincts for pass blocking are still a work in progress there for him, but he definitely took a leap this year. So I've got faith that he can improve that. Charles Cross, the pass blocking is incredible, guys. I mean, I watched this dude, first moves, counters, outside rushes, inside rushes, and he is just mirroring and staying in front of these guys the whole time. What? I, I'm not going to lie. When I first watched Charles Cross, I watched him before the ball was even snapped. I watched that narrow base of his, and I watched kind of his stance before he, this, the, the ball goes off. And I'm like, I'm not going to like this guy. I'm like, I, and I just, I thought, I'm like, he's going to get, somebody's going to bull rush him straight into his chest, and he's not going to be able to fan his feet out. He's not going to be able to anchor. And where he does get pushed back a little bit, it's not as bad as I thought. And however he's got those feet spaced apart, my goodness, can this guy stay in front of people. He is so great with getting his arms extended, locking his arms on guys, owning the perfect strike timing of how to redirect and how to keep locked on guys and and keep them within the shoulders, if you will. That seems so smooth and so natural for him. And I think the area of concern, I brought it up there, strength. But again, if you bring full context into these things, 
Charles Cross is about 300, 305, I think is what he probably played at this past year. Maybe 310, I don't know. You go back three years with him as a recruit. Guys, he was 270 pounds when he showed up to Mississippi State. That whole first year, he gained 15 pounds. And then he got in that second year, he was kind of playing it 285, 290. And then this past year, he was able to jump up a little bit more. So we don't even really have a full set of seasons with this guy at an appropriate weight. Who knows? This guy might still be gaining that strength that we want to see from him because it's not there yet. It does need to show up. And for him to be the top offensive offensive tackle over in Evan Neal, over in Icky Aquanu, he does have to get stronger. But the area of playing offensive tackle that means so much, pass blocking in one-on-one situations, that is so valuable, and he already does that so well that I've got to think that a couple of years, again, get with the strength program, great, get with the nutritionist, get the body right, and you've got a really great offensive tackle that is a pass-protecting specialist. That's why I like him. Really love that breakdown from you on cross Trevor. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is you went into that with a preconceived notion. I don't want to say notion, but just based on that narrow base, based on kind of, I, we saw it too. Me and Nick were like, look at the, look at the footwork that he has before the snap. It's pretty odd. But like you said, even the times where it seems like he's going to get beat, he finds a way to stay in front of his defender. And to me, that's really important. And that could really help him at the NFL level. I've seen a lot of tackles win that way in the NFL. Maybe it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. And so I'm really excited to hear that breakdown across because that ultimately might be who the Giants take. We've heard rumors the Giants have cross-rated above some of these tackles. And we also also think it's possible that, you know, it's not impossible that, Icky goes before the Giants. We're hearing the Jets might be taking him at four. And maybe even Neil. It still feels to me, I still stand by, I feel like Nick Casario. Evan Neal feels like a Nick Casario pick. I don't know why. But let's talk a little bit about some of your other top 20 players here. Because there's a couple standouts to me that, again, you go above consensus. But what I love, or against consensus, I should say. But what I love about this, at least for me, from a personal standpoint, I'm going to be a little selfish here. But these are two of my guys. I like these guys a lot more consensus too than consensus too. And one of them is George Pickens, the wide receiver who you have ranked as your 16th overall player out of Georgia, by the way. We always want to make sure to name the school because people say they like that, and it's important. And another guy is at 20, Daxton Hill out of Michigan, the safety slash slot, wherever you want to put him, defensive back, let's just call it. I love both of those players, especially Hill. Um, I want to get your take on their games, translating to the next level, and why you have them ranked so high on your big board. Yeah, I mean, look, George Pickens, going back to a little bit of the Derek Stingley stuff, when you dominated a young age in a conference like the SEC, I take notice, and it means a lot. And for him to come in as a five-star wide receiver and and gain a starting spot on Georgia's offense and uh, become a focal point as a freshman and then almost become the focal point as a sophomore, I think that, again, speaks volumes. And he put up really good tape, highlight reel kind of tape over those last couple of years We understand that Georgia's offense is primarily a running offense anyways, has been over the last couple of years. So Pickens' numbers aren't going to jump off the screen at you, but the tape does and how he was able to reel in a lot of these passes as a true X wide receiver on the line of scrimmage, which I think matters a lot still uh, when you go up against the best kind of competition. Had the torn ACL this past year, didn't get to play until the playoffs. Well, I think he played for the SEC championship game, but he didn't play a lot mainly played in the playoffs. And look, when you look at this wide receiver class, it's good. It's deep. There's a lot of guys to like. 
But in terms of wide receivers that can be quote unquote wide receiver ones for you, focal point guys, impact players, Jamison Williams, George Pickens, Drake London. Those are my three. Those are the three that I think can be wide receiver ones. I, I love Darren Wilson. I think he's fantastic. I think he's going to be a wide receiver too. And a damn good one. Same thing with Chris Olave. Could be the same thing with Traylon Burks, but I think it kind of depends where he goes to and the usage that he gets there. But all that to say, like, I think those guys can be really great and they're going to be really great. I, I think so. But I think those guys have really great ceilings, George Pickens included. Now, I don't think he's going to be a first-round pick. Certainly sounds like he's not because there's a lot of reports out there about teams being concerned with the character, uh, the maturity, the commitment to football, all that kinds of stuff. I've never, I've never met the young man. I don't know. All I can, I, all I can do is go off of what I have watched on Saturdays and what I have watched in film study afterwards. And those two things tell me this guy's a first round wide receiver and a guy who could potentially be a, a wide receiver one at the NFL level. As for Dax Hill, super versatile defender, loved the athleticism, played in the slot beautifully this past season, which is, it's a, it's a tough ask. It's a tough ask to do covering wide receivers, whether they're big or small, when they've got those two-way goes in a lot of space. And I think he handled that very well. He also handled space very well on the back end as a free safety type of player. A lot of range, a lot of athleticism. He's got a couple of high right, highlight real hits to him, so you know he likes to bring the physicality, then the ball skills. And he's got natural ball skills as well. Being able to attack the ball in the air, I think it's very, very important. And so yeah, I list off all of those things, position versatility, You've got a home for him, either as a slot corner, as a free safety, how he does in space, which shows the football IQ, the awareness and the anticipation, the ball skills and the physicality. Just checked all the boxes right there. It's top 20 player. So that's why I like him at that spot too. Yeah, we freaking love Dax Hill on this podcast. I also think he would mesh really well with Wink Martindale, not to mention his defensive coordinator in college as a disciple of Martindale. So terminology wise, it could really yep. work out. But I want to also ask you about David Bell, the wide receiver out of Purdue. Somebody we haven't talked about too much on this podcast, but I know you wrote a piece about him and how he can translate to the NFL. Now this dude ran like four, six, five or something incredibly slow at the combine, which could drop his draft stock down. But can you just tell the audience why you think he will translate so well to the NFL? Look, I, I don't know if I'm going to say translate so well to the NFL. I don't know how much I'm going to defend that statement there, but he's a supernatural athlete. You know, he comes from a high school background where he won state championships in football as the guy. He was the go-to guy. He also won a state championship in basketball where he was part of the team as a leading scorer and a leading contributor. So it's just, I mean, this dude is just clearly a natural athlete. He understands the position. He understands the sport so well, but unfortunately, all the slow times that we saw from the combine, that's in his tape. Uh, it just it, it, that reads correctly in his tape. He is never going to out athlete anybody at the pro level. Um, could he outsmart guys? Is he a technician? I think so. I think he's got a great feel for open space. But you get him the ball, he's not a guy who's going to get you a ton of yards after the catch that you can rely on all the time. But you know, when it comes to route running, when it comes to that kind of deception and doing all of those little things well for the wide receiver position. I have faith that he can do a lot of those things. And so I think that he's going to be a mid round pick. I think he's probably going to end up being a fourth or fifth round pick because you, you just, you can't draft a guy who's that athletically limited a lot higher than that. Maybe somebody will take a chance on him in the fourth round because he had such great production, but it's, it's hard for me to watch him be a, constant contributor at the next level beyond maybe a wide receiver three role 
just because he struggled to stand out as an athlete in college. And that only gets more difficult at the pro level. So those are kind of my thoughts on David Bell. Yeah, I love that. I mean, look, we're not, I, I don't feel it. I kind of agree with you. I'm, I'm a big fan of Bell, but I, I, with those limitations, I understand why some people will be like, yeah, look, there's guys I'd rather bet on traits wise at the same right. range. And that makes sense to me. But, you know, something I talked about with John Schmelk, who's a Giants beat writer. He covers the Giants for Giants.com. The Giants need someone who can get open, who has a natural feel, especially if they move on from Sterling Shepard next year. And Bell could be that guy. I feel like he's just one of those guys who doesn't test well, but is productive. And I'm not saying the athleticism too much more on tape than what you just described. But I don't know. He just has this weird knack for getting open. And it could work. He does. He knows knows how to play wide receiver, man. Yeah. Really well. He's not going to be out of position or mistimed or anything. And if if you are running routes where you're just saying, hey, get open, like find the space over the middle, he'll do it. And he'll do it really, really well. It's just how quick can he get there? What can you do afterwards? I think those things factor into it as well. So it's just you've got to know what you're getting with David Bell, draft him appropriately. And I, and I think there's no doubt about it that you'll be happy if you have the realistic expectations of him. That's a great breakdown. And let me ask you about another player you have actually ranked number 36 overall on your big board. And that's somewhat in my mind, at least breaking the mold of some of the traits based prospects you had throughout your top 20, which is why I circled him in my notes and wanted to hear your breakdown of him. And that's Wyoming off ball linebacker, Chad Muma. Can you break? And I hope I pronounce that right. All the, with every yes. name I name, I, I really hope I pronounce these right. Can you break down why you like Muma's game translating to the next level? Because I have heard some concerns about his athleticism translating. Oh no, I think the athleticism okay. is definitely going to be there for him. I think that that's a big that's a big calling card of his. I think he moves super well in space. Now the jumping competition, I think, is going to be uh, something that uh, you just got to take note of. You got to be aware of, but. You, you, you draft linebackers high to cover. That's how you get value out of these guys. There, there's too many linebackers that come through every single year that can fit the run for you. Now, some of them take that to an elite level, right? I mean, you, you look at guys like Nicobe Dean, for example, right? I mean, like a lot of people are like, yeah, Nicobe Dean, he's, he's got a smaller frame. He's got smaller legs. He's got smaller arms. Sometimes he miss tackles. You know, the guy's just a machine, right? He's, he's in the middle of a national champion Georgia defense. He orchestrated that whole thing. He plays like his hair is on fire at all times. It's still a linebacker that's just, okay, he is playing that position extremely well. But outside of those guys that you really gravitate towards, that you do need, you need linebackers who can cover, especially in the day and age where you're only putting two of them out on the field at, at most. When we see that nickel defense is becoming so much more of uh, base defense as base, to, to, to put it uh, frankly. When you have two linebackers on the field, one of them can't be a uh, liability in coverage. You can't have that. And so I love the way that Muma moves. I think he's a sideline-to-sideline guy. I think he's got a good feel for coverage. I think his athleticism is really uh, something that can be a calling card for him. And ultimately, he brings a ceiling of coverage potential at the position that not other linebackers do. And that's why I have him ranked as linebacker three right behind Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean is because of, I think that he can bring you that maximum return on investment for a linebacker pick. So that's why I got him there. Muma, Quay Walker, we're, we're huge fans. Channing Tindall, all of those players at that area of the draft. This linebacker is a secret need for the New York Giants, just probably not at pick 36 or anywhere before that. 
but we want to get you out of here. We want to be cognizant of your time, Trevor. I wanted to ask you about someone that not a lot of people know about. It's hard to find his film, and that is Fayetteville State's Josh Williams. Is he someone that can project to a press man type of role? He is a cornerback from the HBCU circuit. Can you speak on his skill set? Because it's just hard to get my hands on that film, and I just would like to hear your opinions on The film is hard to get from Fayetteville State. There's no doubt about it. So I haven't seen a plethora of it, but – you know, what I really saw, I've, I've seen a lot of the highlights that I've been able to see, and there are a couple of games that I've been able to watch, although the camera's been a little bit shaky on those. But look, yeah. I see a player who played at a lower-level competition who dominated, who absolutely dominated, and that's exactly what you need to see, whether it's, you know, a Trevor Penning or an Ali Marpet coming from Hobart many years ago. Like, whatever, when you come from lower-level competition, you've got to dominate, and I felt like he did. Is he as technically sound as some of these other corners? No, I don't think so. But the size, the arm, the speed, the overall profile. And you know what, guys? I was so impressed with him when he was at the Senior Bowl because he came in there. You're going up against bigger competition, some of the best upperclassmen in the draft class. And he showed up day one and was confident as could be. That attitude portion of playing corner is so important. He ran rep after rep after rep. Anytime a cornerback coach needed somebody to come in for a one-on-one, he was going up against him, and he was shutting down a lot of those wide receivers. It wasn't the best wide receiver group that we've had in Mobile over the last couple of years, but he was getting in their face. He was locking them down. He was playing really well right off the jump, and that stood out to me a lot because that's the kind of mentality that you need. You need that kind of mentality. You need that kind of confidence. He knows his own abilities. He's very confident in his own abilities. He was a ball hawk while he was at Fayetteville State, which I think is very important as well. I I, I love the man. I, I love from where he was coming from to what he could be in the pros. God, man, g- give me that guy somewhere on day two. I'm serious. I'd take a chance on him. I know it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for him, but I know he's got the attitude and the mentality for it. At least I certainly saw that when I was in Mobile this past year. Wow, that's cornerback Joshua Williams out of Fayetteville State. That's a deep sleeper for you boys and girls who are listening in for Trevor here. Thank you, Trevor, for taking the time today to join us. I know, again, you comped us to good morning football, but you don't have to do that. It's all right. We we understand we're not at that level yet, but maybe one day. But either way, thank you so much for taking your time. And one more time, tell people where they can find your work and some of the things you've been working on lately. Sure. Uh, at tw- uh, on Twitter, at Tampa Bay Trey is where you can find me there. Uh, PFF.com. We're going to be cranking out all sorts of content throughout draft weekend. Giving you guys a live updates. I'm going to be hosting the draft show that we have for PFF, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. And then, of course, all the uh, articles afterwards, grading these picks, where we see these guys fit and all that kind of stuff. And then, as you guys mentioned at the top of the show, NFL Stock Exchange is my draft podcast that I host with Connor Rogers from Bleach Report. We have a lot of fun doing that show as well but uh look guys i appreciate you having me on uh you know you joked about this not being a good morning football level but i enjoy it all the same man always love talking draft with people so i appreciate you guys having me. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.